How good is it to be able to worship our God together? And how good is it this week to just have a little bit of extra freedom? You know, this week we were able to have dinner with mum and dad. They came over to our place and it was just so good to be able to be with family and be with friends. What about you? Are you enjoying a meal at a restaurant or a meal with your family and friends in this time? It's nice to see that things are just starting to open up a little bit. But you know what? I'm actually still a little bit reserved. I'm still not as confident to be out and about in public as I used to be. Uh, My name is Kylie Butler and I am part of the eldership team here at New Peninsula Church and uh, thrilled to be able to share this message with you around the um, passage of in Hebrews. I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Back when I was in grade six, I was part of a school choir. I loved singing. And what I've come to realise is that I actually struggle to hold a tune, but I'm passionate. But in grade six, I was given the opportunity to be one of three students to be able to sing a solo song. As the choir were visiting an aged care facility to be able to sing, we had a number of choir songs, and then three of us were going to sing our individual songs. I was to close it all off, to finish with our crescendo, an amazing performance. You know, I had been practicing my song, The Rose by Bette Midler. Some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a razor that leaves our soul to bleed. Some of you were singing that song, weren't you? I'm I'm glad that I'm not going to give that to you right now. (laughs) But the day came. I was so nervous and excited and I had anticipated this day. We arrived and the choir sang our songs and I sang my little heart out. I could see the joy on the faces of those in attendance and they were loving the choir performance. Then it came time for the soloists. The first singer sang, the second singer performed and then my teacher stood up to introduce me. And I moved out from my position towards the microphone, ready for my amazing rendition of the rose. But instead, he thanked the audience for their attendance, asked the choir to bow, and the audience gave a rapturous applause. My heart sank. Tears began to well up in my eyes. What was happening? What did I do wrong? Why was I skipped? We were all hurried out and onto a small school bus back to the school. I sat on the bus, completely confused, sad, and I heard for the very first time the internal monologue, the soundbite which would then plague me for decades. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough singer. I'm not good enough to perform. I'm not good enough. And for the next three decades, I've filled that sentence with so many things. I'm not good enough to lead. I'm not good enough. uh, I'm not a good enough mum. I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough friend. I'm not good enough for God. Only God is good enough, which is true. But it messed with my view of self and the majesty and incredibleness of God. I'm not good enough too. What about you? Are there times when you lack confidence? Maybe it's I'm not smart enough. Maybe it is I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough or you feel inadequate. Maybe it's with you and God. This lockdown has had a huge impact on people, on their well-being, their health, but also their relationship with God. 
Maybe for you, you've lost your confidence in God. Maybe it feels like there's a great chasm between you and God. Maybe there's some shame or some brokenness or some hidden sin, and so you feel completely disconnected from God. The Bible teaches us that regardless of how we feel or how we've acted, we can approach God with confidence. Hebrews 4:16 says, "Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need." So far in this series of Hebrews, Dave has covered Jesus is better than the prophets. Ian Cathy has covered Jesus is better than the angels. Ian Smith has covered Jesus is better than Moses. And so today we're going to look at Jesus is better than Aaron, who was the first high priest appointed by God through Moses, and how and why that gives us confidence to be able to approach God. Now there are a numbers a number of chapters that we're going to cover today, 5, 6 and 7. So really we are only going to touch on parts of these chapters. I put some additional questions in our weekly email newsletter so you can actually go deeper in these chapters during the week for yourself or with your online small group. But before we jump in, let me pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are a God who knows us, who loves us, who mediates and intercedes for us. And Lord, as we come to you this morning, We come to you with open hearts and minds and ears to hear from you to be stirred and challenged by you. Lord, have your way. Lord, each word that is spoken today may it be uh, dripped with you, your love, your grace, your mercy. And may we bring honor and glory to your name. in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So let's start at chapter 5 where we're introduced to Aaron which is Moses' brother who was the very first high priest. Hebrews 4 Hebrews 5:1 to 4. Every high priest is selected from among people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself was subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sin as well as for the sins of people. And no one takes this honor on for himself, but he receives it when he is called by God just as Aaron was. So originally, the only ones who could offer sacrifices to God in the form of worship were the fathers of families. For example, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and and their sons, they offered animal sacrifices in order to be able to thank God and to make promises to God. And we see this in Genesis chapter 12 verse 7 and 8 and Genesis 35 verse 7. When God gave the law to Moses, He gave a more formalized system of sacrifices that contained specific instructions concerning the reasons, the time, the manner and the materials that are to be used in order to be able to to practice sacrifice. 
Uh, Through Moses, God appointed a specific person, a specific family, a specific place in order to be able to carry out these tasks. Aaron, Moses' brother, was from the tribe of Levi along with his sons and they were the ones who were first appointed by God to this role of priest. Sacrificing would no longer be done by each family but by a priest on behalf of all families. But why a priest? Why do we need a priest? There is a big chasm between us and God. A God who is holy and majestic and perfect and unapproachable. And us, humanity, reckless, sinful, defiled. Let's look at a couple of Old Testament examples in order to be able to see this. The first one, we look at Isaiah. When Isaiah saw that God was sitting on a throne surrounded by angels who called out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We see this in Isaiah 6. The prophet was completely undone. It devastated him because immediately he became aware of how totally sinful he was, especially in contrast to God and his awesome holiness. The second one we look at is in Exodus 19. The Israelites, while in the wilderness, saw Moses go up the mountain into a cloud uh, where, where there was lightning and thunder and a loud trumpet sound, and they were terrified. The people uh, realized it or knew that if they got too close to the mountain, God had warned them that they would be struck by a deadly plague. And the third one, we look at the Jews. The Jews knew that they couldn't just wander into the Holy of Holies and have a chat with God. Only the high priest could enter there and only once a year and with blood. The Jewish people knew how desperately they needed a high priest if they wanted to be able to approach God. There is this great chasm between the perfectness and the holiness of God and us humanity. Therefore, priests were required to be able to mediate, to act as a go-between God and humanity. One of my roles when I was working at the Baptist Union of Victoria was to be a mediator between leaders, in particular between children's and youth pastors and their senior pastor. (laughs) It was messy, yucky and an awful part of the job because none of us are perfect not even our pastors. The role of a mediator is to be able to assist or guide pastors towards resolution, to be able to facilitate conversation and restoration. You know, it's a hard job to do. When we look at Aaron and the Old Testament priesthood, there is a need for a mediator between humanity and God, someone to intercede to facilitate conversation and bring restoration of relationship through sacrifice. And so the priests of Israel were chosen by God from the family line of the Levites. Now, this automatically brings an objection. Um, How does Jesus, uh, a priest, be a priest if he's from the line of Judah? All priests in the Old Testament were required to be from the tribe of Levi and specifically from the descendants of Aaron? The answer, Jesus is from, the pre, from a priesthood that predates that of Aaron. 
one that goes all the way back to Abraham. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Now, these two, these two verses are actually quoting Psalms, uh, Psalms 2 and Psalms 110. In the same way, Christ Jesus did not make himself the glory of becoming a high priest, uh, but God said to him, you are my son, and today I have become your father. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So what is the order of Melchizedek? Why is he a greater priesthood than Aaron? How, does, how is Jesus like Melchizedek? And who is this Melchizedek? We actually don't know a whole lot about Melchizedek. We need to go over across to chapter 7 in order to be able to get some more details. But Melchizedek is actually mentioned twice in the Old Testament. In Genesis 14, after Abraham has rescued Lot and his family from the Canaanites, then Melchizedek mysteriously appears and blesses Abraham and Abraham offers a tithe to him. Then he's mentioned again in Psalm 110. But that's it. Nowhere else in the Old Testament is he mentioned. So why are we talking about this obscure person from the Old Testament? He gets a whole chunk of this letter dedicated to him. But why? Because we need to know something about Jesus here. Let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 to 10. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and a priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without a beginning of days or end of life resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of his plunder. Now the law requires that descendants of Levi who become, become priests collect a tenth from the people, that is from their fellow Israelites, even though they are descendants from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant, descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him um, blessed him who had the promises. Without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In one case, a tenth is collected by people who die, but in another case, by him who is declared living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid a tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Whew. So what we find is Melchizedek is a king of Salem and a priest of God. Let's look at this a little bit closely. Number one, firstly, let's look at his name. The name Melchizedek is a compound of two Hebrew words, which means joined together. Melech, which is the Hebrew word for king, and Zedek, which means righteousness. What's in a name? When we name children, more often than not, it's because we like the sound of the name. If I think of the name Kylie, which means returning boomerang, it was a really popular name in the 70s and 80s, but not so popular now. I actually don't think I know a Kylie who is aged under the age of 30. 
What we found is that mum and dad liked the name, so they chose it. That was it. But names in the ancient world were full of meaning, especially the Jews. Names were given to tell something about the character of a person. For example, we look at the name Abraham. His name was changed, Abram, which means father of high places, to Abraham, which means the father of multitude. So names are important. The second one is his domain. Where is Melchizedek's domain? He's the king of what, of where? He's the king of Salem. Salem is one of the ancient names for the city of Jerusalem before the city became the capital of Israel. Why is this important? Because kings of Israel would trace their lineage back to King David. And the priests of Israel would trace their lineage back to Aaron. But here we see a priest king residing in Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem, the city of God, long before either David or Aaron. That is impressive. Thirdly, we need to look at his genealogy. We have no idea about Melchizedek's lineage. The Bible doesn't mention whose family he belongs to. If I think about my own family line, I can trace my family lineage back a few generations, maybe five or six back. You know, along one of my family line, we can trace uh, my great, 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 great grandmother when she first came to Australia. She actually came to Tassie and she came to Tassie as a convict. She stole a, pair, a piece of underwear from someone's clothesline. She was convicted and sent to Tassie as a convict. This is not necessarily a family line that I'd like to celebrate or ensure that people really know that about me, although you do now. However, in the Old Testament, lineage is really important. The kings of Israel, before um, Babylon was in captivity, they needed to trace their genealogy back to David. The priests of Israel needed to trace their genealogy back to Aaron. If they couldn't, they were no longer permitted to serve as priests. But Melchizedek, the first priest king, has no genealogy. He appears from obscurity, out of the pages of history. We know nothing about his origins. We know nothing about his death. And because of this, he's compared to Jesus. You might kind of be saying, hang on, wait a minute, Kylie. Jesus has a genealogy. You know, how can you say that Jesus is like Melchizedek because he has no genealogy? The answer is found in the pre-existence of Jesus. Although he has human genealogy. He also existed before he was born. He appears in the very beginning. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Here's the point. Jesus is a better priesthood than Aaron because he never had a beginning. His priesthood has no end. He will always be our priest, our high priest forever. He is the basis of our forgiveness and our relationship with God. The Levitical priesthood was always meant to be temporary. It did not bring perfection or completeness. The Old Testament scriptures promised a future priesthood, one that would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
Psalm 110 verse 4 says, You are, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus plays a huge part in this priesthood, in this biblical narrative. Like priests of the Old Testament, Jesus mediates for us and he completed the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Let's have a look at, Jesus, at, at let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 to 27. Now there have been many of those priests since death that prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede uh, for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure and set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus is a better priest than Aaron because of his lineage, his calling, his sacrifice. We can have confidence in him. But this is not easy to understand or hear. The readers who received this letter wouldn't have found it easy to hear because they had over 1,500 years of Jewish tradition and religion. The priestly system of engaging with God was all they had ever known. It was deeply embedded. It was set in their way of life. It was familiar. It was known. It was expected. They knew how and why it worked. But now Jesus was doing something new. He was changing the whole system, the whole tradition, the rituals, the way of engaging with God. Nothing was ever going to be the same again. Change is uncomfortable. Change can be challenging. Change can be exciting. If I look at the amount of change and uncertainty that we have been through globally in this season, it is astronomical. Even if we just think of a couple of things in our church, who would have thought that we would be meeting together via screens and yet in the same year also looking for a senior pastor? And then we look personally, the lockdowns, the masks, the job losses, remote schooling, so much has changed. If you find yourself today sick of change, lacking confidence, feeling uncertain about the future, even you know, some of the positive signs that we're opening up, you still feel uncertain. You can have confidence that you can come to God. Maybe you've been struggling to hear from God in this season, to sense his presence, to sense his prompting. You know, maybe you've had that sense of dullness in our faith as Hebrews 5 and 6 mention. What we do know is that we have confidence that we can come to God and find grace. This passage shows us that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our sin, how much or how little, Jesus has already done it. He is our mediator. He is our priest, our high priest that lives forever. The Bible teaches us that regardless of how we feel, how we've acted, we can approach God with confidence because Jesus is our media, 
mediator who is always and forever. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach our God's throne with grace and confidence so that we might find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Be confident, church, of our incredible God that Jesus would come to earth, die and be raised again to be our high priest, to be our mediator so that we can come confidently to God with everything that we have, everything that we're concerned about, everything that we're feeling, every joy, every heartache, every grief, every excitement, all of it we can come and bring to God with confidence. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can come confidently to you. We thank you for Jesus, for his death and resurrection. And with that, it means that we can come to you. We're so grateful and so thankful. Today, Lord, we offer ourselves afresh to you. Show us. Speak to us. Lead us. Restore us. Help us to know your presence and to know the confidence that we can have in you. We pray this all in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Great to be with you today, church. Have a good day.